0: I invite you to turn with me to our reading this afternoon, which comes from Galatians, chapter five. Galatians five, the verses sixteen through twenty-six. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We now turn to Lord's Day 32 of the Catechism. That will provide us with an entry point into the things we hope to cover this afternoon. Lord's Day 32 of the Catechism begins a new part. The third part, our thankfulness. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with a whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits and he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, Thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like shall inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the rules of interpretation in general is that context determines meaning. Context determines meaning. So what that means is that sometimes the same word can have more than one meaning depending on the context. The context will determine what the meaning actually is. One example from our book of praise is found in Hymn, 14 stanza 5. In this hymn, you find the word cleave. It gets used in the sense of split. Stanza 5 says that God cleaved the earth with his rivers, and what that means is that he cut it in half. But then, if you go ahead to the form for the baptism of infants, it uses the word cleave in the opposite sense of the meaning, which means to join. It says that we are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to love him with our whole heart, soul, and mind and with all our strength. So you have one word, cleave, with two meanings that are opposite to each other. So which meaning is the correct one in any given circumstance? Well, context will tell you. And in a more general sense, this is true of good works as well. This morning we dealt with the Idea of good works and how they um, fit into God's law and into the Old Testament, and we determined quite conclusively that that you cannot add works to faith. And we also saw that we're saved from God's judgment by the blood of Christ alone. The things that you do have uh, have nothing to do with it in that sense. At the same time, you cannot be saved without having good works. James 2 verse 14 puts it very bluntly when it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And the implied answer is no, it can't. So there it says that you do need good works. But you have to look at the context in order to understand the meaning. He's not saying that works contribute to salvation in any way. If you read it in context, the point is that works are evidence of salvation in our lives. Lord's Day 32 takes that idea and it fleshes it out for us more. And it's important for us to understand because if you misunderstand this, if you're not careful, you might get the idea that God saved you from his judgment and now it's up to you to prove it to him by doing good works. And all that will do for you is to create a lot of anxiety. But the point of salvation is not anxiety. The point of salvation is awe. Anxiety puts you in a box and closes the lid. Awe, on the other hand, is the mind-expanding sense of wonder and worship at the greatness and the goodness of God. And that is something that you never outgrow. Because if you're a believer, he has not just redeemed you in the past. He continues to redeem you in the present. He continues his redemption every day. So this afternoon, I may preach you the gospel of redemption again, being that Jesus Christ continues his redemption in our good works. And we'll see that he renews us to be his image. He assures us of this renewal by our good works, and he uses our good works to draw in our neighbors. So here you have it again theology. And it is easy to make this a purely academic exercise. The catechism does not let you do this. It was written as an intensely practical work for people with a practical mindset, it was written for ordinary people, not for scholars. And so it wants wants us to to be really practical here. And it begins with something amazing. It tells us that we are justified as we are, sin and all. And that is an amazing truth. It's at the heart of the Christian faith that God actually meets you where you are. He comes to people who are spiritually dead. He regenerates them. He brings them to repentance. He justifies them. He declares them righteous. That's what justification is. And that happens before you've done anything. So, the renewal comes afterwards, not before. Consider for a moment how much God knows about us. Psalm 139 says that He knows every movement, He discerns our works from afar, our thoughts from afar. He knows each word as it forms in the mind, even before it's fully conscious. He knows our motivations, even when we don't properly understand them ourselves. Consider all of our sins. God sees us with that degree of clarity and precision. He understands our sins and our, our motivation to sin. He does not destroy us. Instead, he sent Jesus to die for sinners. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And all of that is wrapped up in this first line, because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, that phrase, having redeemed us by his blood, there already assumes that whole gospel. And then it goes on to say that he renews us to be his image. Think for a moment about what that means. Think about the words of the Belgian Confession, Article 14. We believe that God created men of dust from the ground, and he made and formed him after his own image and likeness. What does that mean? It means that he was good, righteous, and holy. That's what the image of God is. It is to be good, righteous, and holy. You think about the honor that God bestowed on people who are dust. He took dust, actual dust. He shaped it into A person, he breathed the breath of life into it. He imprinted his image on this dust. Consider the honor that God has given to us. But we squandered this gift. Article 14 goes on to say, Since man became wicked and perverse, corrupt in all his ways, he has lost all his excellent gifts which he had once received from God. He has nothing left but some small traces which are sufficient to make man inexcusable. This is like what's left of a house after it's burnt down to the foundations. Maybe some of you have um, seen, seen the aftermath of a house fire, or maybe even a, a bushfire if it went through a, a shed or something like that. And all you have left is, is some charred foundations. You can tell that there's some ruins, but you obviously can't live in it anymore. You can tell what was there, and maybe there's still a, a post sticking up here or there, but, but the building itself is 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 uninhabitable. And that's what's left of the image of God in us. But now, says Lord's Day 32, he is actually renewing that image. It says, Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image. So redemption itself is not enough. Why not? Why is redemption itself not enough? Because it doesn't restore anything. If you you take away the sin, if that's all that God would have done to just take away our sins, then he hasn't rebuilt the house, so to speak. So that's the context of your good works. It's not just something that you do. It's part of God's work of restoration. By nature, man is wholly corrupted. So if God is going to restore us, then that restoration has to include our good works as well. So it includes our initiative, it includes our will, it includes our desire to to do these things. It includes everything that produces works in us. That's what Paul was writing about in Galatians. He's saying the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. In other words, outside of the work of God's spirit, the only thing that we can produce on our own is works of the flesh. What is the flesh? The flesh is the old nature. That's everything that is sinful, everything that is opposed to God, everything that turns against Him, everything that resists the work of renewal. And the Spirit pushes back against that. And the work of renewal goes on because He regenerated us. He continues that, that outworking of regeneration in our lives. The technical term for that is sanctification. And that doesn't just include the things that you do. It includes your whole life. The Catechism says, with our whole life, we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits. This is probably the most misunderstood part of the Catechism for free Reformed people. It is true that we are to show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, but don't think for a moment that that thankfulness originates or should originate purely only in ourselves. Instead, it's the work, the result of the ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives. It's important to get this right. Remember, get the gospel right. Sometimes we get fixated on this idea of good deeds and we feel like we're never doing enough. Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt like you're not doing enough for God? You're not thankful enough. You're not holy enough. You're not grateful enough. You're not good enough. That's what it feels like. But listen, the good works as such are not the main point here. It's not as if God says, I have set you free, now you go and keep the law again. You remember the the old hymn, Amazing Grace? Some people have their own version. I won't sing it for you, but it goes something like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I'm found. The rest is up to me. That's practical theology for a lot of people. Maybe you've never sung it, but you've probably lived it. And so the catechism reminds us to to put the focus back on where it belongs. It says, Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us to be by his Holy Spirit to be his image so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits and he may be praised by us. So thankfulness is not just what you do. Thankfulness is what you are. Thankfulness is that you become what God designed and intended for you to be. That's thankfulness. Because in our renewed state, we love God more and more. We become more and more grateful for his image as it forms in our lives. And then the fruit grows naturally. Then the fruit doesn't just become a list of things that you have to add to an already overly busy existence while you feel guilty because you feel resentful about having to do more stuff. Instead, it becomes organic. It just grows naturally in your life. And this idea actually is found in Galatians as well. Paul didn't talk about the works of the Spirit. Did you notice that? He didn't talk about the works of, of the spirit. You would, you would have thought that, that that would have made a lot of sense, right? You talk about the works of the flesh and then the works of the spirit. And he, you know, you would expect him to say, so go do the works of the spirit. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He talks about the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the spirit. Fruit is not something that you make grow. It has to be grown in your life through the Holy Spirit. Now, when you experience that then you'll also sense tremendous gratitude at what God is doing in your life. But don't misunderstand. Don't think for one moment that this means that you can be passive. This is not telling you that you can just sit back on your hands and wait for the Holy Spirit to do His work while you focus on other priorities in your life in the meantime. No, it's a, a state of constant awareness and sensitivity to what God is doing in our lives. And Paul refers to that in verse 25, right? He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is going somewhere with our lives. Keep in step with Him. But the point is that from beginning to end, all of this is a work of God. It is not our work for Him. It is His work in us, which produces the fruit of faith, faith in Him. And If you are a believer, that fruit will grow, and that's reassuring. He assures us of this renewal by our good works. That's the second part that we look at. Maybe at this point it would be helpful to define the phrase good works. We've used it a few times. What does it actually mean? What is a good work? And if you ask catechism students for an example, then they can give you all kinds of interesting examples. But the the next Lord's Day actually gives us a definition It says, what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory and not those based on our own opinion or on precepts of men. And right after that, it goes on to explain the 10 commandments. So the conclusion is obvious. The good works are to live a normal Christian life. It's not necessarily only those acts which so to speak go above and beyond that. For example, some of us might consider a hero of the faith in the past, like George Mueller, 19th century evangelist. His name has been mentioned here before. He cared for more than 10,000 orphans over the course of his life. Think about that. At a time when there were no no social services, he cared for over 10,000 orphans over the course of his life. An incredible thing. But when you think of good works, you should not only be thinking about that as if it's well, either I have to do what George Mueller did or, or nothing. You know, it's not, it's not all or nothing. Good works are the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, using the Ten Commandments as a guide. They're evidence of our renewal. And again, we should never forget that our renewal is a work of Christ through His Spirit. If you don't grasp this, your life will lack spiritual vitality. You will look at the law with its demands and you will say, This is too difficult. And you will be right. But salvation doesn't only include suffering. It doesn't only include death. It doesn't only include redemption. It includes the resurrection of Christ and his ascension. It includes renewal. And God God joins us to Christ. We have the power and the ability then to produce good works. It's him producing those in us. It's him renewing us to be his image. And that has to include all of our lives because he doesn't do half work. What do you think motivated our Lord to carry out his work of redemption? Was it not to see God honored in our lives? And then the work of renewal has to follow from that so that God might be completely honored it wants the image of God to be restored because this honors the father who created us in his image in the beginning so our works are not evidence of our merit and should never be understood as such they are evidence of Christ's merit the evidence of his transforming power in our lives through his spirit so that means we can never look at it in terms of personal failure if, if, if we don't feel like we are where we should be. Even the smallest bit of progress in our Christian life is the work of Christ. Boys and girls, do you remember when you were small, and maybe your parents remember this as well, and you went to, I don't know when they do this, is it preschool or year one or something, and all the kids get a bean and they stick it in a bag or a jar with some wet tissue, and then they, they let it sprout, right? You've probably all seen that, and you sit there every day watching this bean until finally you get this very, very, very tiny piece of, of of white. And all the kids are so excited. They're so excited because it's evidence of growth. It's very small, but it's evidence of growth. That's how the Christian life works as well. Even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience, but the beginning is there. And we should not despise the small beginnings. And if we if we Want more than we should, in the words of the canons of Dort, fervently desire a time of more abundant grace and expect it with reverence and humility. And, and then, you know, as you grow, and growth takes time. It does in the natural world. It takes time in the spiritual world. As you grow, you start to outgrow some of the attitudes and the mentalities of youth. You start to mature in your, in your fruit, so to speak. And then the things that you did when you were young are not attractive anymore. You reject them. Think of the words of Psalm 25. Sins of youth remember not. Pardon, Lord, my evil doing. The psalmist looked back on his early years with regret. He was sad at the things that he'd done. He saw with the wisdom of hindsight and maturity, he saw how, how evil his life was as a, as a young person, where he'd fallen short. Some people never make it that far. Sometimes they grow older, but they still look back with fondness on the days when, when they were young and foolish. But we should not look back on sins of youth with fondness or nostalgia. The Catechism reminds us that those who persist in such foolishness will not enter the kingdom of God. Why not? Because they were never a part of that kingdom to begin with. The image of God was never formed in them. And if the image of God was never formed in them during this life, How does it make sense to to be perfected after death? They would feel out of place in the presence of God if they never loved him in life. Why would that change after death? Think of the words of Lord's Day 12 here. It says, why are you called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus share in his anointing, so that I may as prophet confess his name, as priest present myself a living sacrifice before him, and as king Fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. And hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. These are all expressions of the image of God in your life. But if you've never done any of these things in your life, if you were never interested in any of these things in your life, how, how do you expect to reign with him eternally over all creatures in the hereafter? It wouldn't fit. So the works are evidence of the renewal of Christ in our lives. Having said that, you should never look to yourself for assurance. The Catechism says that Jesus Christ assures us of his renewal by our good works. It's assurance. It's it's not primary evidence, it's assurance. It's corroborating evidence. But ultimately, you don't look to yourself for assurance and Don't ever forget that. You don't look to yourself for assurance. You look to Christ. When you fall short, you focus again on the first half of that that line in the catechism, the redemption. If you fall short in the renewal, then you go back to the redemption. You look at the redemption. And you remember that. And you turn to him for forgiveness. John Calvin put this really well. He once said, Paul does not threaten that there shall be excluded from the kingdom of God all who have sinned, but all who remain impenitent. In other words, the people that are excluded from the kingdom of God are not the ones who sin, but the ones who remain impenitent. And that's also reflected here, right? Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? To be impenitent means that you don't want to repent, you refuse to repent. And it says, if that's you, then, then you should not consider yourself to be saved. So take it seriously. Don't resist his work. Don't misuse your youth to sin. In the awareness that you won't want to do it again later. And don't complain if there's a lack of progress in your life. You know, should focus on what God is doing, not on what's happening in other people's lives. To focus on your own life and complain is ingratitude. It means to want something other than what God is currently doing in you. And, and gratitude, gratitude is, is part of a healthy Christian life. So, so look at, at, what, at the great grace of God that he works in you at all. Keep in step with the Spirit. Look at where he's going and go with him. So, we've seen that Jesus Christ continues his redemption in our good works. He renews us to be his image. He assures us of this renewal by our good works. He also uses our good works to draw in our neighbors. And we'll pay attention to that last. It's the last reason that he gives here that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ. You see, redemption, being redeemed by the blood of Christ, is invisible to outsiders it's it's invisible until they see you live that out in your renewal when you live it out then people see what redemption is they see the image of god walking the earth again and that stands out in a society like ours we live in such a dysfunctional society that's not going to get any better it was never promised to us that it would become better it's going to become more and more dysfunctional. And as it does, the contrast between darkness and light will become more and more obvious. People will misunderstand it. People will mock it. People will hate it. But people can never get away from it. It is a silent witness to the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. But then we must be truly separated from this world. We are to be in this world, but not of it. We are not to have a slightly smaller share in darkness than the people around us who are unconverted and then think that that is evidence of God's work in our lives. It's not. We do do that sometimes. Maybe we think, well, I don't, I don't have satellite television, but, but you spend all your time on Netflix. Or maybe we don't watch pornography, but R-rated movies are okay. Maybe we don't watch movies at all, but we're okay with racy books. That kind of thing just obscures the image of God in you. The world looks at that and, and they're not convicted of sin at all. You know what they say then? They say, oh, You're missing out. They don't see a difference, they just see someone who has less of what they already have. There's nothing particularly Christian about that, is there? But a completely different life? A completely different way of looking at reality? Well, that, people will notice. That's unusual. Maybe even winsome, especially if it comes out of true love. Christ renews the image of God in us. All things are to be put under his dominion again, and it begins with us. That's why we are going to pray the Lord's Prayer at the end of the Catechism when we get to that point, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. That's what it means to pray your kingdom come. All things, to pray for all things to be put under his dominion again, beginning with yourself. As we are renewed, our, our affections, our, our, our feelings are warmed and, and we share in that and our hearts turn towards God and we desire to see others transformed as well. Not just because we love them, but because we love God and we want him to be honored in all things. See, it's Christ from beginning to end. Always Christ, only Christ. That's all it can ever be. Since he redeemed us, he also renews us. And what he starts, he finishes. So it will continue throughout our lives. Where we fall short, we turn back to him in repentance and he forgives, he renews. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for renewed vitality. And then then we carry on knowing, believing, trusting that he gives it to us. And we will struggle, but we also know we will always prevail in the end. We will prevail because our life is linked unbreakably to the life of Christ. He is the great source of renewal. He will continue to renew us until we are perfected. How can you not be grateful for that? Amen.